what's cooking up in the kitchen? Am I smelling that soul food? Oh, yes, it is soul food. The spiritual food for your spiritual nourishment. And you know what? This food will never expire. Never expire? I need this food every day. You are listening to these spiritual-based podcasts. There are many podcasts, but this one here is to satisfy your soul, to feed your spiritual hunger. Are you hungry for God? Don't let your soul be hungry. No matter where you are, whatever you are doing now, at work, home, or on the go, you can still listen here and right now, the uh, Soul Food Podcast. Don't let ever your soul to go hungry. It's time for some Soul Food. Daily Devotions. With Bishop Barra Fonseca. Always I bring to you the daily devotion. And the daily devotion today is about your past. You are always looking backward. I want you to know that God did not put our eyes here on the back. Meaning that he wants us to move forward, to look to the things that are coming, not the things that are past. Because always when you look back, what do you see? You see a divorce, you see funerals, you see diseases, you see bankruptcy, you see tragedies. However, when you look forward, you see what God has for you. Let us read the scripture. It says, One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind the past. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Ahead of you, not behind you. Hey, hey. Forget the things of the past. It is over. Do not be afraid of your next relationship because you are divorced. Do not be afraid of your next business because the other one failed. Forget the things of the past. Move ahead. God is with you. Do not dwell in the past. Maybe you always even talking. Do not even comment to others about the past. Look here, please. If you keep looking to the past, talking about the past, you are going to bring the past to the present and it is going to stop your future. Forget the things that are behind and move forward. If you need spiritual help, this is my email address, bbf at universal.org. Send me an email right now. I will read your email and you are going to receive my answer. You are watching me on the TV or over the internet or even listening to the radio. This is my email, bbf at universal.org. Forget the past. Move ahead because what God has for you is ahead of you. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for listening here on Soul Food Podcast. Stay tuned to listen to a real life story. Make sure you don't miss it and share with your friends and family. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter, I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your. Now what I care about is finding out like what's true because I'm like, this stuff is real. Like they're telling me true things. Like what if this is what I'm called to do myself? Cause they're telling me things like, Hey, and you're, you're called to be a warlock and this is your ancestors and, 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 and your great grandmother was a witch. And, and they tell you all these things just to like, to get you to believe this. Cause they want, the devil wants to use you. And I decided, Hey, I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to, I'm going to call upon whoever the higher power is. And I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know anything. I went out there profusely crying, just screaming. Who are you? What's the purpose of life? Who are you? What's the purpose of all this? I need to know when I'm screaming and I heard a voice say, I'm gonna show you now. I got literally knocked down to the ground. Like it was, it was too strong. Like I just, I couldn't, like I just got, I got, got curled up in a ball and I was manifesting demons. I was crying profusely, coughing up. I felt like things were coming out of me. It was my, my spirit and my soul. I just knew it's Jesus. Richard, can you tell us about your life before Jesus, starting with your childhood? So, Again, I was I was born and raised in um, Fort Lauderdale, um, Broward County, Florida. I was born premature at five months. Um, I almost died. Um, they actually had to um, put me in an incubator for a few weeks. Um, my mom couldn't see me for the first two weeks until I developed enough to be able to come out of the incubator. Um, that was the beginning of my life and it. I continued to grow up in a, um, a Puerto Rican household. Uh, my parents are from uh, two cities in Puerto Rico, Caguas and Lutuado. My mom Catholic, my dad was raised Christian, but really wasn't um, in the faith, really, really lukewarm. I wouldn't even say lukewarm, just not in the faith at all. 
So I was raised in a home where, um, you know, a lot of love. Um, my parents did, you know, Puerto Rican traditional, a lot of love, cared about us, um, took care of us. We, we weren't raised in a wealthy home, but we, we also weren't raised in a super poor home. It was, I would say, about middle class. And my family, um, my mom, my dad always wanted the best for me. So I, I, I would go to church, Catholic church, CCD, got my confirmation, reconciliation, that's what they call it, and um, communion and the whole nine baptized as a baby, um, but never really believed in the Catholic religion, just would go because my mom wanted me to go. And, you know, being raised in that household, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of issues um, because obviously Christ wasn't the center fully. So, you know, a lot of tribulation throughout my lifetime, um, a lot of rejection growing up, you know, seeing things and experiencing things. But again, my parents, I honor them. They loved me, my, me and my brother. I have one younger brother who's 29 now. He's a few years younger than me, four years younger than me. Um, we, we were just raised in a household where, you know, there was a lot of uh, rejection. Just when Christ is not the center, is there's going to be issues. There's going to be issues just because Jesus, Jesus needs to be the center of everything. So, you know, being raised in Broward County, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot. I was a product of my environment, um, trying to live two lives. So, you know, trying to please my mom. I love my mom so much. You know, getting good grades in school by any means necessary, cheating on my tests, just doing whatever I could. And I wasn't a dumb kid. I, would, I was smart as well. So I was able to kind of manipulate the system, finesse. Mm. And if you know about Florida school system, it's very, it's terrible. So it was really easy to cheat and get, a, and get past things in Florida. You know, I'm talking about honors classes, AP classes. And but at the same time, I lived a whole nother lifestyle. I played on the basketball team in my school and I loved basketball, but I also loved women. I loved partying. I loved drinking. I loved smoking and I loved robbing and doing all types of crazy stuff. Anything that could give me a thrill. It wasn't because I needed money. It wasn't because, um, because I, I was so poor that I needed to go do this. It was because I wanted to, um, I wanted acceptance from my peers. So again, a product of my environment, you know, if you do these type of things, you're accepted and you're looked higher. You know, they, they look at you like you're like you're more of a man. So, you know, if you have, if you have a girlfriend, you're a sucker. You know where I'm from. You need to have multiple girls. If if you're not robbing and smoking and drinking, if you're not getting money and tra selling drugs, you're you're nobody, and no one looks at you. So, these are the things that I I, I did to be accepted, and at the same time, maintaining a certain GPA because I, I did want to go to college. I did want to eventually leave um, Broward because I knew that Broward just had it was just it was sucking me dry. Um, so I left Broward at 18 and I went to Orlando and I got accepted to UC. The University of Central Florida. And I went there and you think things would change. It didn't. Um, you know, my first two years, it got worse. Drinking more. Now I brought that lifestyle to Orlando around a bunch of, you know, kids that um that, that didn't know that lifestyle. So now I took advantage of it. Drug dealing, making money, um, partying, fraternities. I wasn't part of one, but I'd be involved and affiliated with all of them. Getting into the clubs, you know, $2 Long Islands, you know, pictures of Long Islands in the, in the club. And, you know, always drunk. Drinking and driving was a normal thing since, since the age of 17. Mm. Drinking and driving was normal. I'm talking about obliterated drunk driving. And I, I always made it home. I always seemed to, to get away with things. And my friends knew that growing up. All my friends growing up would get arrested in and out of jail, going to prison. I mean, shot at all types of stuff, uh, crazy things. I mean, I had friends that even were killed and died, but I never got caught. I never got shot at. I never got, obviously I'm alive, never got killed, never got hurt. It was, uh, there was some type of grace on my life. And I didn't know that um, back then I thought I was just lucky. That's all. I just thought, you know, I'm just lucky. And the, the lifestyle continued and it never, it never stopped. It always got worse. So now I'm at UCF, barely made it through my first year, maintained the 2.0, and then eventually started taking Adderall. Um, once I got introduced to Adderall and mixing that with alcohol, I became addicted. And now I'm, um, I'm smoking weed. I'm drink, I'm drinking alcohol 
four to five days a week minimum, partying all the time, and then taking Adderall to pass tests, midterms, and finals. Um, that lifestyle just kept it kept building up, you know, hitting the gym whenever I could, waking up at five o'clock in the afternoon to go to the gym, go drink again, and it was just a lifestyle. Um, and then I eventually I was like, you know what, I want to change scenery again. I was with this girl, and we were going through a lot of issues. I'm talking about um, all types of abuse, man, on both ways, just a lot of uh, chaos, and because I was in fornication, obviously. I didn't know Christ at all. Um, and this is actually the first time I experienced sleep paralysis twice, actually. I was in my apartment at UCF and um, I actually experienced um, a, a demon. At the time, I wasn't sure what it was, you know, knocking on my closet door and I was sleeping, but I was awake and it scared me. I had so much fear, but that's when, you know, I realized, okay, there's something spiritual going on. When I woke up, I was kind of nervous, but I was like, whatever. Now, the second time was before I left to New York, because now me and my best friend at the time, we wanted to change scenery. So we said, you know what, we're going to get a U-Haul, pack up all our stuff, and we're going to go move to New York at the age of 20 years old. I'm talking about like living in the U-Haul until we find an apartment. We had nothing lined up. They wouldn't accept us because we had no credit at the time. And we just went in faith, um, even though back then I didn't even know what faith meant. I was in my ex-girlfriend's apartment before I, I left to New York. And this is like the first time I had a, a spiritual encounter that woke me up. A demon, an actual demon, and I knew it was this time, was trying to like enter me. Um, I was stuck. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. In my bed, it was about 10 a.m., and I know it was 10 a.m. because there was a, was, the light was out. It was she had no um, she had no blinders because she had just moved in that apartment, and I couldn't move. And I could see everything in the room. My peripherals expanded. It was like my spiritual senses were heightened, and I could see everything in the room, even in the bathroom. And I'm stuck, and I'm scared out of my mind because I can't move. And a demon was coming from the left of me to try to enter me, laughing at me, literally laughing, like "Ha ha, I got you now." And it, and it wasn't audible speaking; it was like more like it was like mind. It was in my mind. It was telepathic, I guess you could say. Mm. And um, and I was speaking to this, like I was like, "No, no, no!" I was like, "No, no!" And it was just like, "I got you. It's over." And all I could do at the time, because I'm, I'm tears are still coming down my eyes, I can't move. As I started pr praying the Lord's, the Lord's prayer, um, you know, in the Catholic Church, they make you recite these things. And that's that's what I, all I knew. So I started saying in my head, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." That you know, because I was scared out of my mind. And the minute I started praying that prayer, as an unbelieving Catholic, alcoholic, drug addicted, terrible person, a light came, boom, and that demon literally got mad and left. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation with this light for about 20 minutes about how I need to change my life, how you need to stop that the consequences of the things that I'm doing, the things I'm doing, there's consequences, and that's why these things are happening. And then I remember I, I went back to sleep and woke up, weeping, crying, telling, you know, my, my ex, like, did you did you not see what just happened? She's like, what? I was sleeping. You didn't, you, you didn't, and you know, and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, did you do this to me? I'm like, because you were to the left of me. And I'm thinking all this crazy stuff. And I just was like, I got to get out of here. I got to go to New York. And again, you think it would stop? It didn't. Went to New York. Now I'm in New York City bouncing in clubs. I'm living in Washington Heights, New York. I went from Brooklyn to Washington Heights. If you know where that's at, I went from Crown Heights to Washington Heights. That's from the hood to the hood. I'm living out there at 20, 20 years old, about to be 21. I got my security license and started bouncing at clubs. So now I'm bouncing at clubs in New York City, downtown Manhattan. I mean, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Now it's, it's, it's a different lifestyle. Now I'm meeting new people. Now I'm still selling drugs. I'm still robbing. I'm still finessing. I'm robbing anything I could do to get that, that adrenaline, that rush to rob. I would do. I'm talking about clothing stores, designer stores. And I was good at it. I had, I had, I had this strategy. I had demons in me. It, it's, it's terrible. I think about it now and it literally like, 
I just give, I cry a lot at home. I cry in prayer because the, of the grace that God had in my life. I'm supposed to be in prison. Credit card scamming. I mean, everything you could think of. Anything to do something bad to get to get over the system. And um, I'm out there and I started getting real depressed. And that's the first time I got suicidal. I was suicidal. And I'll never forget. I cut off everybody in my life because I was so depressed. I just thought it was, I thought it was my best friend. I thought it was my ex. I thought it was this person. I had so much paranoia. I had so much chaos. I just cut everybody off and isolated myself. And that's the first time I contemplated suicide. I remember I was in my apartment and I thought about it like I felt so much depression. I said, you know what? It's better to just die than be like this. I was depressed, like I said, and out of nowhere I heard Richard. I heard a voice literally say, Richard. And it brought so much life to my, like, to my spirit, like, to my soul. It brought so much joy, and I freaked out. Like, who was that at the time? Because I didn't know Christ. I thought it was my dead uncle. Hmm. So I'm like, that was my dead uncle. It had to be like, oh, my gosh. Like, and I got so encouraged to keep going. This is around the time, again, I cut off my friend. I had cousins who were going to prison. Um, I mean, like, a lot of chaos was going in my, li- like, in my life. My friends, I mean, people around me are dying. Like, it was, it was chaotic that I just was like, I got to get out of New York. So like, I'm going to the military. So I went to um, Fordham to go sign up. And I, you know, I told the recruiter, look, I've been arrested. I had got arrested in Orlando for disorderly intoxication, for um, for resisting arrest, fighting cops at a club. I said, I got a record. I got arrested once. I got a bunch of speeding tickets. Um, I just was honest with him. I was like, I, I smoke, I drink. Um, what do I got to do to get in? He was like, well, you got to keep coming. You got to stop smoking, stop drinking. We're going to figure out what we can do. He pulled up my rap, my rap sheet and everything. He was like, man, it's going to be almost impossible, but we're going to try to get you in. Take the ASVAB. I take the ASVAB. I got a pretty high score. I got an 81 out of 100, which qualified me for almost every job in the military. And that's when he said, okay, we can work with this. The Air Force would not accept me, but the Navy did. And he got me in. And through halfway through the process of when I'm supposed to leave on July 5th, 2012, I just backed out. It was um, a few months before I just stopped answering his calls. I stopped going. I was like, I'm not going to the military. This is whack. I'm making money now. I'm in New York City. I got all these connections. I'm, st- I'm, in, now I'm, I'm in the streets and, and I'm bouncing at clubs. I was like, I can go to, to college at CUNY in New York and I could live a double life again and I could figure something out. And I just, I deaded him. And he, um, and he just kept pursuing me, calling me voice messages, voice messages. A week before I was supposed to go, July 5th, a week before I went, he showed up to my apartment in New York City um, in the Heights, in the hood, which nobody really goes to. He showed up knocking on my door and he was like, man, I came here. I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, why'd you come? He's like, look, I just, I feel like you need to go. I'm like, look, I got an apartment. I got a lease. I got all this stuff. He's like, I'll take your lease. He literally took over my lease. Like, this is a recruiting, you know, you know, recruiting petty officer in the United States military, took over my lease. I told him I had TVs. I don't know what to do. He bought my TVs. I mean, just straight grace. Like, I just was like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, why does, like, I can't be worth that much. Like, and now that I, you know, I've been in the military, I know it wasn't quota because quota, like, it was, it was, it was his heart for me. Like, he actually felt like I needed to go. And I was like, all right, bro, I'm going to go. You came here for a reason. I'm just going to go. So I got drunk the night before I left, talked to all these girls. I invited all these girls over like, hey, I'm about to leave. You know, my friend, we just drinking all night and I didn't sleep and went to the Navy. Didn't, and that was a big awakening for me, like rude awakening. Two months in boot camp, the rebellious person I was, having drill, drill sergeants yell at you and tell you to, you know, cursing you out and telling you to do push-ups and run and you, you don't sleep at night. It was, it was, it was hard. I made it through boot camp barely by God's grace. And then that's when I, I, I joined the fleet of the United States Navy as an air traffic controller. Thank you for listening here on Soul Food Podcast. Stay tuned tomorrow for part two of Richard's story and learn how he overcame.
Thank you for listening in. That's all the soul food we have to share today. Stay tuned to the next episode on soul food and keep your notifications on. Share each episode with your friends and family to feed their souls. Give the food that lasts forever.